Hi everyone, Philip Sutka here. I have a small favor to ask. I recently updated the Dark River website and with it launched a new mailing list for the podcast. An email list is any author or podcaster's superpower. It's the most direct way that creators such as myself can connect with their audience. I have an exciting announcement coming soon and would like to share it with you first. And I'm going to need your help in launching this new development. So if you would be so kind... Go to darkriver.ca and access the hidden episode at the top of the homepage to sign up for the mailing list. Not only will you be the first to know about updates, but you'll also have access to a behind-the-scenes look at how I created each of the stories. If you try it for a bit and decide that it's not for you, you can easily unsubscribe at the bottom of any of the emails. Believe me, I will not take offense. I will just be so thankful that you were willing to give it a shot in the first place. So head over to darkriver.ca, access the hidden episode, and join the ghosts in uncovering the town's secrets before anyone else. And now, on with today's story. This story contains graphic descriptions that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me in this strange small town in northern Ontario. My name is Philip Psutka. If this is your first time visiting, I'll be your guide. If you're a familiar face, it's good to have you back. The town embraces newcomers and old friends alike, but be warned, it doesn't easily let you go. So dim the lamps, settle in. Welcome to Dark River. The day was hot and dry. Clouds of dust hovered just above the dirt road as Rupert walked along Snakeback Lane, kicking up stones. There was no wind, not even the slightest breeze, and the air draped over the boy like a thick blanket. He had stuck to the side of the road coming home from school ever since the accident last year. His father had been rushing back into town in their carriage and had hit a young girl while coming over the crest of a hill. Although Rupert hadn't been in the carriage at the time, the trauma that rocked the family household gave him nightmares vivid enough to create false memories. He may as well have been in that carriage, for he clearly remembered it. The sun beat down on the back of his neck, and he took his cap off, rubbing his hands through his hair. They came away wet, as if it had just rained, and he instinctively opened his parched mouth to receive any moisture in the air. But there was not a cloud in the sky, and he may as well have been walking through a desert. He turned to the field on his left, taking his eyes out of the sun's glare. Rows and rows of corn stood to attention. Up ahead, Barker's farm loomed. He passed it every day, sometimes saying hi to Sam, the son of Jim Barker, who owned the farm. Rupert had been to a few of their celebrations each year. The corn smash three years earlier had been the party's tenth anniversary and was one of Rupert's fondest memories. He hadn't been to the one last year, though. 
His family had been reclusive since the accident. School was the only real social time he had. He rolled up his sleeves and scratched his arms. The bugs, at least, were finally starting to disappear. That was one thing about northern Ontario in the summer. If the grueling labor didn't get you, the black flies would. It was finally August, so most of them were killed off by now, and even the mosquitoes seemed to be dissipating earlier at night. It was nearly four in the afternoon, and the day had reached its peak temperature. Sweat poured down the back of his neck. He wiped some of it away with his sleeve. Though he wanted to get home quickly to give himself a reprieve from the sun, he didn't dare walk faster, for he was beginning to feel a little light-headed and didn't want to risk passing out and baking on the side of the road. The thought of baking persevered, for the smell of allspice suddenly permeated his nostrils, and his favorite dessert, pumpkin pie, flashed across his mind. He often daydreamed during the long walk home, but rarely had he ever experienced such a vivid one with his senses joining in full force. Closing his eyes, he inhaled deeply, relishing the scent before his imagination moved on. But rather than dissipating, the smell intensified. He opened his eyes and saw only the long stretch of road, the corn, the railway tracks running along the road on the opposite side, and now the tiny houses appearing over the hill to his right. These small houses were made from old rail boxcars. English immigrants had set up a temporary community here while they made enough money to build on their own pieces of land. Though land was extremely cheap, not all those who came from abroad were able to take advantage of the provincial government's offerings, for the government did little to provide them with the necessary tools or means to start out once they had arrived. The small houses were packed close together, a miniature town all on its own. These men kept mainly to themselves. Rupert had passed them numerous times on his way home from school, but rarely saw any of them out on the road. There had been one time when one of the men, a tall fellow, looked up and gave him a solemn nod, but that was the extent of his interaction with them. Still, he couldn't help but be curious. Who were these strange people, and why did they want to come to Dark River? What could they see here? The smell pulled him back. It was stronger now, harsher. Rupert doubted if it was coming entirely from his imagination, for a slight breeze had picked up and seemed to be carrying the smell along with it. Perhaps the Barkers had left a pie out on the windowsill, or were roasting pumpkins. But it was August. Pumpkins weren't in season. And he couldn't recall ever seeing any food left outdoors at the farm that weren't for the chickens. Strange. He pulled himself from his thoughts and continued on down the road. Barker's farm and the boxcar community were closer now, and something about them was different. In fact, the scenery around them had changed as well. Everything seemed... faded. He looked up and saw a large cloud working its way across the sun, spreading towards him, 
moving quickly relative to the light wind along the road. He followed its tail and saw that it was thicker towards the tree line ahead off to his right. The cloud was a dark gray, and parts of it were turning black. Rupert stopped dead as he realized what he was witnessing. He watched the smoke grow thicker and thicker, pummeling the sky. Was he the only one who had noticed it? He didn't see anyone outside in the boxcar community or at Barker's farm. He should tell them, warn them. But he couldn't move. He was frozen to the spot, a current of sweat pouring down him. The sun was fading, but now a new light was coming from the tree line. Though Rupert couldn't see the monster yet, he knew it wouldn't be long before it barreled through. Every part of his mind screamed at him to turn around and run back the way he came. He desperately tried to move his legs, but it was as if they were nailed to the ground. Then the monster showed its face. It flared above the trees ahead, the hot shards puncturing the sky and turning it black. He could hear it now, a low roar getting steadily louder. It crackled and cackled as it approached. How could no one else see it? Where were the people from the boxcar houses, and why were they not fleeing to safety? He had a fleeting thought that perhaps the small town was empty. That could be the case. He still didn't see anyone. As quickly as these thoughts flashed through his head, they were banished, for thoughts of self-preservation brought him back to where he was. He was in the path of a forest fire and didn't know what to do. The light around him was fading, as if some giant hand were dimming the world. But unlike dusk, where the air was clear and clean, this was like being shut up in a giant tomb. All Rupert knew was that he couldn't stay where he was. He could risk crossing into the cornfield, for the roads separated the forest side from the farm side. But it would just take a rogue flare across Snakeback Lane, and the other side would be ablaze as well. He could run and try to find shelter at Barker's farm, but unless they had a deep cellar, it would be useless. He could warn them of the approaching monster in case they didn't already know, but that would mean running towards the blaze. He didn't know how fast it was approaching, and if he could even get to the farm before the fire did. His best chance at safety was to turn to his right and head for the river. If he could make it there before the fire, the water would protect him, providing it didn't sweep him away. The tips of the massive flames licked the skies once again ahead of him, and the giant specter of smoke snaked its way across the horizon. It was far bigger than he originally thought. This could very well be the end for him. He would never go to school again, never enjoy a dinner around the family table again, never annoy his sister again, never see a sunset again, never walk down this road again. His spirit would float endlessly in the great void of lost souls, trying desperately to tell those left behind what had happened. Movement flickered to his right from one of the boxcars ahead. A man stepped out of the side door of the old railway car, taking his hat off and wiping his brow. He must have just awoken from a nap, for even though the sun was blocked, he was squinting as if the light hurt his eyes. 
Can't he tell what's coming behind him? thought Rupert. Can't he hear the blaze? Can't he smell the smoke? And that's when a sharp pain seared into Rupert's eyes, causing him to squint, and he understood that it wasn't sleep the man was trying to shake from his eyelids. The fire would hit the community before it hit Rupert, and it was coming directly his way. Hey! yelled Rupert, waving his arms madly above his head, trying to draw the man's attention. Over here! Look over here! But the man didn't notice him. He just put his hat back on his head and walked over to his woodpile and axe. He has no idea, thought Rupert, and looked up. Directly above the tiny houses, the smoke poured into the sky, and the angry orange drew closer. Rupert took off running towards the man, still waving his arms and yelling. He was going against all of his instincts, but what could he do? How could he turn away and leave people to such a fate? The man looked up from his chopping, but not because he saw Rupert. He sniffed the air, but he was still too close to his boxcar to be able to see the approaching monster. Over here! screamed Rupert. He was getting closer to the community now, but it was taking far longer than it should to close the distance, as if Snakeback Lane had awoken and was slithering under him in the opposite direction. The man looked up and saw Rupert for the first time, just as the boy yelled, FIRE! Rupert stopped dead in the middle of the road, his eyes wide with horror. The boxcar community was now framed in a brilliant red, rimmed with black. The forest fire was licking the sides before working its way into the center for the main course. The man turned and froze for a moment, just as Rupert had done, before running back into the house. Is he insane? thought Rupert, but then understood when the man emerged with two other men. They each ran to the nearest boxcar houses, banging on the doors frantically to alert their neighbors. The fire tore through from one house to another, and the men were forced to abandon their mission and run from the blaze, down the road towards Rupert. They ran right by him as if they didn't even see him. Screams began to fill the air. I'm too late, Rupert realized. The blaze had engulfed the small community, turning it into an inferno. Then Rupert's instincts kicked in and self-preservation took over once again. He stumbled back a few steps, still entranced by the flames. He was just about to turn and run for the river when the burning man ran out into the road. The figure fell, rolling on the ground trying to extinguish the flames, but the fire had caught on more than his clothes, and the hot, dry day only fueled it. The breeze had picked up, washing the road with dust, and it too fanned the flames. Rupert could only stare, helpless. The screams penetrated his skull, like railway spikes being driven into his brain. The rolling mass of flame morphed and changed, limbs flailing helplessly in all directions. A hellish eternity passed before the figure lay still, smoldering on the road. Despite the mighty blaze where the boxcar community had stood only moments before, Rupert found himself walking towards the pile of fire in the road. 
a morbid curiosity had taken over, coupled with a desire to help even though the man was clearly beyond aid. It's no longer a man, he thought, but couldn't help himself. He'd never seen a body so recently parted from its soul. Everything was surreal, like he was swimming through a dream. Time had slowed down, and his senses were on high alert, taking in every molecule around him. He swam through the heat down the road. The burning pile grew closer. And then the dream turned into a nightmare, as the burning thing lifted its head off the road, looked directly at him, and gave him a solemn nod. Hollow sunken sockets where the eyes used to be took him in. The skin around it bubbled and popped, like a pot of thick stew. Rupert felt his stomach drop out from under him as all his senses narrowed in on the thing before him. Then the thing stood up on rickety legs. Bits of seared flesh dropped off it and lay resting in the road, miniature replicas of the giant blaze closing in around them. Rupert stumbled out of his paralysis towards the river. The thing opened its mouth, and a long, dry gasp accompanied by a black billow of smoke came out. The smoke grazed Rupert's face, cutting him off from the river, and he retched. Every part of his body screamed to get away from the horror approaching him, and before he even realized what he was doing, he turned and ran into the only shelter he could find around him, the cornfield. The dry husks whipped him across the face. As no wind could penetrate the thick field, it was like running through an oven. He first heard the stalks rustling behind him. Then he heard the raspy breath. The burning figure was right behind him, and now he felt hot breath on the back of his neck. He screamed and ran faster, veering sharply to the right just as a hand grazed his shoulder. The thing uttered a low grunt and switched directions to follow him. Although he didn't look back, he could feel it closing in on him again. He ran blindly on. The thing kept coming. Rupert's arms and face were battered from the stalks, and his chest heaved in dry surges fighting to take in the scorching air around him. Thick smoke had descended into the field, and the view around him was darkening. He coughed, nearly tripping over a stalk, and his eyes stung. Suddenly, he knew this was it. This was the end of his life. He could see his family in front of him through the smoke. His mother was crying. His father was shaking his head in stunned disbelief. His sister was saying, Mommy, 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 over and over again, tears welling up in her eyes and running down her cheeks. I'm sorry, said Rupert, as he ran towards the vision in front of him. I tried, but I'm sorry. The smoke was so thick now, he was forced to close his eyes. He reached out to them, and felt his hand touch something, something wet. His hand had grazed the vision of his sister's cheek, and came away with tears on it. He knew that this was impossible, 
but it was there nonetheless. His fingertips were wet. Quickly he rubbed his eyes clean and was able to open them again just as the melting figure behind him clamped a fiery hand on his shoulder and spun him around. He stared into the gaping face, the scorched mouth, the molten dripping cheeks, and he just gave in. He let his legs go, closed his eyes, and fell backwards into the final moment of his life. Thank you for listening thus far. In a moment, we'll join Rupert in the cornfield once again. But first, I'd like to let you know that we have new, original, spooky stories coming every three weeks. So follow the show on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. If you enjoy your time in this haunting town, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or through our new website, darkriver.ca. I'd also like to take a moment to say a big thank you to the Region of Waterloo Arts Fund for supporting this episode and the show in general. Their generous funding truly keeps the arts alive in this region, especially when it's most needed, as it is in this time of isolation. But now... Let's face the fiery figure once again. He stared into the gaping face, the scorched mouth, the molten dripping cheeks, and he just gave in. He let his legs go, closed his eyes, and fell backwards into the final moment of his life. All went silent and black. A moment later, A bright light seeped through his closed lids. He slowly opened his eyes. This death was nothing like he had expected. He was lying on a road much like Snakeback Lane, and there was a row of corn in front of him. Surely he couldn't still be alive, for he remembered tearing deep into the field. How could he possibly have found his way to the edge? And where was the thing that had been chasing him? He looked up to see two large horses galloping towards him, and he rolled out of the way just in time to avoid being run over by the large contraption they were pulling. It was an elaborate carriage, loaded with a massive silver drum, capped with what looked like a giant upside-down funnel. Pipes and a large hose ran along the side, and a bell was perched at the front. At least a dozen men were aboard the strange carriage, all dressed in black uniforms with a front bib-like section that had the letters D-R-F-B on it. The contraption came to a sudden halt beside Rupert, and he heard a low voice say, Get in, son, now! He felt strong hands pull him aboard, and before he knew it they were flying along the road, past Barker's farm, past the remains of the boxcar village, and directly towards the fire ahead, towards Dark River. Rupert had been picked up by the Dark River Fire Brigade, who were rushing to get ahead of the fire before it reached the town. They were too late. Most of the buildings along Main Street were gone. This proved one of the biggest dangers in northern Ontario at the turn of the century, for houses and buildings were often built extremely close together 
and were all constructed of wood. The instant that one had caught, the others were enveloped as well. Luckily, there were few casualties. Most had seen the fire coming and abandoned their shops. Some had headed towards the river, others got themselves just to the outer edge of town, taking care to stay clear of the forest. The fire brigade was able to put most of the charred buildings out quickly, but the damage was substantial. There would be much to rebuild. Rupert looked around at the devastation and thought back to his own close brush with death. He wondered if Barker's would still be standing when he saw it next. He wondered if the burning figure had even existed. Perhaps the smoke had gotten to his head, and he had just imagined it. But when he moved his arm to brush some ash away from his face, a pain flared in his shoulder. He looked down and saw five burn marks, four long ones at the front, and one shorter one to the back. A red handprint. He sat off to the side while the men put out the jagged remains of the general store. Eventually, one of them offered to take him home. Where is that, son? he asked Rupert. Looking back, Rupert would never be sure what made him say, Snakeback Lane, Barker's Farm. He expected to find a giant smoldering wreck, but when they arrived, he was met with an unbelievable sight. The farm was still standing. Not only that, it looked as it always had. The boxcar community was devastated, yet it was as if the fire hadn't crossed the road at all. He could see the smoldering skeleton of the forest and the river through it. The prolonged dry summer had slowed it to a trickle. If he had taken refuge in it, the small flow would not have been enough to protect him. And, even more unbelievable, the cornfield was untouched. There was no way that a man on fire could have run into it after Rupert and not set it ablaze. His shoulder burned once again, a reminder of the man he couldn't save, but who had saved him nonetheless. Although he would never be sure that the fiery figure existed, he saw it often, reaching through his dreams. Memories burned too deep to ever be washed away. This has been a tale from Dark River, written and hosted by me, Philip Sitka. I also produce the show as well as compose the music for it. The podcast artwork was done by Chris Sutka. For more history of small-town life in northern Ontario in the early 20th century, be sure to follow our Instagram at Dark River Podcast. Though based on actual history, this story is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living, dead, or other is entirely coincidental and unintentional. Thank you for stopping by and see you soon.